Hello, and welcome to the Shades of Green podcast. I'm Juanita Garcia. She's David Ruffin. I'm the Temptations. My name's Bryant Williams. We are the Shades of Green. And, and I'm really happy to have a, a, a new colleague on on the air today. Um, Jimmy Orr and I have been uh, we've been communicating via LinkedIn and emails for about two and a half, three years. And this is finally the opportunity that we got the chance to uh, meet in person. One of the reasons why I'm excited is you don't see a lot of black men involved in the environmental movement. Um, So it's really a pleasure to have you here and learn about um, your take on the environmental movement, how you got into it. And, uh, you know, so if you don't, without further ado, Mr. Jeremy Orr. Well, um, I, I appreciate the Motown reference. Being from Detroit, and, and, and funny story, man. My, my dad used to hang out with David Ruff and then the Temptations before they blew up. Oh, that's uh, crazy. So like, so they all kind of went, you know, the same kind of neighborhood high school. So he would hang out and party with them. Um, but it was kind of before it got a little crazy. Yeah, before, yeah. You know, but, yeah. Detroit um, and Chicago, man. They're, I always say they're like the two. They're the biggest little towns in the world. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Yep. So, so thank you for having me. It's it's always a pleasure. Like you mentioned, we've been communicating via email and LinkedIn for a few years now, and um, you know, it seems like every time I'm in Chicago, it's always you know difficult to catch up. But uh, you know, happy to to be here today. Yeah, we're uh, good. Yeah, yeah we're, we're man, we're honored to have you. Um, so you say you're from Detroit proper. Are you you're from the city proper or from one yeah, of the yeah, suburbs? Inner city, born okay. and raised. Yep, west side of Detroit. So right. um, six miles, six miles stand up. So okay, all right, Detroit. You know, six miles is. So how'd you? Where'd you go to college? So I went to college at Michigan State University. Yep. Okay. So I um, earned an athletic scholarship there. I played football and ran track and field in college. Okay. Yep. Studied. Right. Uh, I studied something that's not even a major anymore. It's actually obsolete. So what, um, what family, you study? It was, it was family community service at the time, and now I think it's called family studies or human development or something like that. So, okay. Is it yeah. like a social work sort of? You know, it's it's more like a sociology. I, okay. I like to say it's it was like sociology mixed with nonprofit management. Oh, okay. So you yeah. weren't a science major at all. You know, I, I, even to this day, I have no science <laughs> background whatsoever, <laughs> whatsoever right? Yeah. Uh, it, it was more of a advocacy, okay. policy, uh, and now law background. Right. So I went to um I went to college in Michigan at uh, Olivet College um, over in Olivet, Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, but my very first job out of college was in Lansing, Michigan, mm-hmm. um, right off Sovereign Road in East Lansing, which was you know um, company you know company based out of Chicago, but it was it had an office in Lansing, um, and it was literally a stone's throw away from the agricultural fields, okay. you know the agricultural school fields. So mm-hmm. I used to pass um msu's campus literally every single yeah. day what, what company was it oh i'm, I'm not gonna say the name okay of the company okay over here, so i may because i may um say some nasty things about them <laughs> down the line i don't want to you know i don't want to ruin any opportunities for uh branding or uh, uh, uh marketing you know um sponsorship and yeah, all that good yeah. stuff you know so. <laughs> so um did you do um did you study law while you're in michigan yeah, um, so i studied law well? i ended up returning to study law so um you know graduated worked for about three years as a community organizer in Kalamazoo, Michigan, where we worked on a ton of different issues, including uh, environmental justice. And that okay. was kind of one of my first um, introductions to environmental justice while there and decided through that work to go back to study environmental law and policy to have a better frame for uh, for environmental justice. OK, so what year was this? I finished college in 09. Oh, so you're working on the Enbridge oil spill in Kalamazoo? <laughs> yep, man. So, oh, excuse so me. The, I was, um, yeah, I, yeah, I shouldn't say Enbridge, you know, because yeah, yeah. the Kalamazoo River. Or, uh, so, I was around then, right? So, I came a little bit after that. But at the time, I was working uh, on the field staff for a congressman whose district that broke in. Okay. So I remember that I was in the office the day 
the the pipeline broke. And I mean, wow. it was mayhem. Wow, yeah, well, that so. was a that was like a Monday morning, wasn't it? And I remember it because so the point of impact was in Marshall, Michigan. Yeah, I mean, the point yep. of release rather was in Marshall, Michigan, like literally. 12 miles south of where I went to college. Mm. So some of my friends were directly impacted. Yeah. You know, and I remember um like another company that I worked for at the time, we were working for Enbridge. Mm. You know, we were supposed to go in and kind of help clean up and perform yeah. emergency response and you know, kind of cover up, but man, it was a mess. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean it was, you know, a mess that took a long time to clean up and and exposed a lot of um you know, a lot of other issues during the cleanup. And uh, like you mentioned, I, I think the region, you know, that impacted over 400,000 people. Yeah. Right. That, yeah. that that draw from that river. So. Right. Tell me a little bit more about some of the work that you were doing associated with uh, in, in Kalamazoo associated with. Yeah. So I was, I was working with the organization that did interfaith based community organizing. Oh, wow. uh, and we worked on a ton of, you know, you would think of, of, of urban social justice issues. So affordable mm-hmm. housing, uh, transportation, youth violence and drug prevention, uh, public education funding, right, at the local and state level. So, but one of the other issues that, that came up kind of later uh, in my time there was a, a super, a contaminated Superfund site mm-hmm. that um, that ended up being a threat to the drinking water source uh, oh, in wow. Kalamazoo. So um, the site is directly across the street from the uh, water, the, the, the water plant, right? So you can imagine yeah. um, the the risk that was, that was had there. And, and the site ended up being contaminated with uh, PCBs because it mm-hmm. used to be an old paper mill site that produced a carbon copy paper for about forty years, and that carbon copy paper back in the day was produced with PCBs when it was when it was still legal, right before it was yeah. put on the list of a ban. I know that site that you're talking about. It's um right off the it's right off the river. It's yeah, yep. So it's yeah. right off of the river uh, in the um, Edison, you know, kind of Edison neighborhood, which is a you know yeah. predominantly lower uh, socioeconomic Black and Latino neighborhood. Yeah, I actually did a one of my very first, literally my second phase one environmental site assessment was just to the east of mm-hmm. that of that uh that facility like, that you were talking about. So yeah, this well, such a small world. Again, yeah. it is. You it know, really Detroit, is. <laughs> you're less than two degrees of separation away. Um so you you worked there for a couple of years, right? Yep. And then um decided that you wanted to go back and study environmental law. Yeah, so and, and it was that experience, you know, organizing and helping organize around that um that super fun site that drew me to start considering law school and, and what happened was there was you know as we were organizing around it and you begin to have people at the table right you had the EPA at the table mm-hmm. you had Michigan Department of Environmental Quality you had the city you had the county everybody was at the table you know strategizing and trying to figure out how decisions would be made for um, you know for uh, this cleanup and what ended up happening you know to me being involved in that two things stood out uh, first thing was that you know at, as we were meeting there were no people of color in the room, right? As these meetings were taking place, um, you know, people making decisions didn't look like the people impacted by right. the site, right? That was the first thing. So there were no black and brown people in those spaces. The second issue um, was it, there was so much conversation. And, and I know you, you asked me before we got started, did I have a, you know, a, a science background? And I didn't, right. right? So you can imagine trying to sit in one of these meetings to hear about, Circla and Recra and, and all of this stuff, right, yeah. that's just going over my head um, it, that triggered me to, to, to say, okay, I don't know what's going on. I need to figure out what's going on. So those two things uh, prompted me to say, um, one, uh, my community needs representation in the environmental realm. That was the first thing. Two, uh, I never want to be in a room again where I don't know what's going on, 
right, where I can't connect the dots and I can't fully understand the language that's being spoken. And right. a lot of it was legalese. So I decided, you know, what, what could put me in those spaces and best prepare me to do that work? And it was a law degree in particular, you know, with a focus on environmental law and policy. Awesome. So, um, so you decided to go back to school. You went back to Michigan State. Yep. And I returned to East Lansing, uh, okay. Michigan State University. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so what year was that when you went back? To I went back in 2013. Okay. Okay. Let me take a step back. So you were working in community organizing, um, just primarily in the Kalamazoo area, did you connect, build um, build a coalition, build connections outside of Kalamazoo? Yep. So I ended up working on a you know mentioned a number of different issues and a lot of the um, in particular uh, education, mm-hmm. right? education funding issues. Right. So you're building coalitions around education, yep. uh, education in particular, transportation as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we did some work also around. Um, kind of early childhood health issues sure. uh, and mortality rates in, in the county. But a lot of that stuff ended up, you know, dealing with state-level funding. So. One thing, you mentioned education. And so one thing that I find very interesting about Kalamazoo is, now I may not completely understand this. Um, I remember reading this a couple times, but, like, if you if you attend a Kalamazoo public school for, the, for your entire K-12 through education, the city of Kalamazoo will pay for your college funding as long as you go to a college in Michigan, correct? Yep. So there is it's called oh, the Kalamazoo wow. Promise. So it was a, okay. you know, kind of the first of its kind uh, in the country program where you had a bunch of anonymous donors come together um, to put money in a, you know, a, a pot to say, you know, mm-hmm. we're willing to fund the future of, uh, you know, Kalamazoo's, uh, you know, children and youth to go to college, uh, you know, public right. universities in Michigan. And, uh, and it's, it, you know, seems to be, you know, working out very well. I know they just kind of had a, a kind of an update or a report recently. I, I don't know if it's coming up on one of the anniversaries mm-hmm. since they, you know, started it. But, yeah, so it's, and, and it's not even, I don't even think it's fully K through 12. I think you can enter in high school and even get, you know, maybe get a portion partial of it. Funding. Yeah, partial. But, um, wow. but yeah, you know, so you get... A lot of people moving to Kalamazoo. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'm like looking to see what type of opportunities they are. (laughs) You know, if BK Environmental Industries can move up that way and, you know, branch out or something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow, what forethought. Like, well, and I imagine, like, uh, you don't have the, like, brain drain. Uh, Yeah, I'd be curious to kind of look at at those statistics with that kind of long term. Yeah, you know, I, I, I and we talk about brain drain all over yeah. the country, right? And particularly even in Detroit, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah. a you know big issue where you, you're trying to incentivize young people like myself to to stick around or to come back home, right? right after yeah. you get these you know mm-hmm. credentials and experiences, and um, but you know it's it's a constant struggle trying to say you know what's what would incentivize people most to come back home? And if I'm a young person that's looking to get married and have a family, mm-hmm. um, my kids having college paid for. Is a yeah. heck of an incentivizer. Yeah. Right? So yeah, I mean, my girls are in. My girls will be starting fourth grade next year. So wow. you know, like that's that would be half of their education. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> all right. So um, wound up going back to uh, Lansing, Michigan. Yep. Uh, Lansing, Michigan to uh, study environmental justice. You knew for a fact that it was environmental justice that. Um, um, environmental law that you wanted to study? Yeah, I, you know, I knew 100% sure. I, I think, you know, I, I looked at a couple of universities around the country, and, and um, but, you know, they were the Vermonts, right, where you right. go to study environmental law. They were um, Lewis and Clark out in Oregon, right? Mm-hmm, so it was, for mm-hmm. me, it was very clear, you know, what I wanted to do. And um, so, yep, so that's what I went back for. And, you know, and, 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 and did the gamut of courses, right? I, you know, did a lot in constitutional law, civil rights law, took all those courses, sure. but also took the environmental law classes that were available and, you know, got involved in, you know, the environmental 
um, law society and those types of things as well. So I was very intentional about that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so now currently you're working for Wayne State? Yep. University? So I work at Wayne State University Law School in their transnational environmental law clinic. Okay. Yep. Did you did you go there directly from uh, did you go there directly from Michigan State? Nope. So I had a um uh, not even a gap. So I took over as the executive director of an organization called the Mid-Michigan Environmental Action Council uh, uh-huh. during my third year of law school. So okay. during my final year, I actually started working full time as a director of a uh, local Lansing, Lansing-based uh, environmental uh-huh. advocacy organization and mm-hmm. uh, spent about a year there kind of in between. They had a director leave mm-hmm. uh, impromptu and, and decided to you know, take on still, that opportunity. Is that organization still active? Oh, yeah. It's, uh, they've been around for 20, 25 years now. Yeah. Okay. So they're a prominent organization in the region. Um you know, prominent environmental advocate. We mostly did water quality issues, stormwater management, uh, things of that sort. So, but yeah, they, they and they'll continue to be around for a while. Yeah. Good, good. So, how'd you wind up getting connections in the Chicago area from uh, from from all the way in Michigan? I yeah. mean, specifically, I think it was Amaris uh, yeah. Ribeiro that introduced us. So, do you dabble with environmental education as well, or so? I, so, so I hadn't normally right. So, my background had mostly been in organizing and advocacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I switched to to that realm of of higher education uh, to work at Wayne State University, I ended up getting plugged into uh, uh, environmentalists of color. Here, okay. Right. So, got plugged into EOC and. I think it was either LinkedIn or Facebook. I joined one of the groups initially. I think it was LinkedIn first. Okay. Uh, joined one of the groups and began to see that, you know, man, there are people around the country, right, and, and even yeah. in the region right around here who are doing work that's relevant to the work that I'm doing where, you know, opportunities to collaborate, meet with people. And uh, Amaris ended up reaching out uh, because they had a, a very particular program coming up, and she wanted to know if, if there was any kind of input or hand that I could have. In. And in particular, that program was about um, – focused on kind of lead, lead safety, public mm-hmm. health for, for mm-hmm. youth, and lead safety was one of those focuses. And at that point, they had been looking, you know, everything had hit the fan with Flint. Uh, yeah. They had been looking at things going on there, and um, she invited me to take part in that program around, you know, kind of public health education, environmental health education, and mm-hmm. uh, made that connection and came down to Chicago for a program uh, she held at um, University of, of uh, Illinois Chicago Hospital. Okay. Uh, and from there, just began to make more connections in the in the Chicago area and uh, started hanging around a bit more. Okay, good. Yeah, good. I guess through your work in advocacy, and um, did you find yourself doing a lot of education and with especially really young people? I mean, Amaris does most of her work with high school students, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and I, and I think that's a big portion of it because it's difficult to have advocacy um, without education, especially in the environmental realm, because. Right. Um, you know, dealing with communities of color, right, and the communities I, I, community I grew up in, right, there is very little focus on environmentalism, and it's not because uh, we don't care. It's because, one, we have so many other mm-hmm. stressors, right, and issues yeah. that we have to deal with, yeah. right, every single day and microaggressions, mm-hmm. everything that we do with every single day. So environmentalism is kind of on the back burner. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is it, it really is lack of education, right? Because yeah. I mentioned, right, I don't have a science background, so there are so many things that go over my head mm-hmm. that I would just otherwise tune out, right? So when you want to come talk to me about air quality and uh, health assessments and right. cumulative impact, like, I don't know what that means, yeah. right? So so why would I, you know, take the time to really invest in something I'm not really sure or understand it? So for me, education has always been a significant part of uh, all advocacy, but especially in the mm-hmm. environmental realm, it's important that people know what's going on before you 
before you start asking to engage them in something. But then also, I mean, yeah, I guess in the neighborhoods that we grew up in, I mean, looking at west side of Detroit, south side of Chicago, I went to high school on the west side of Chicago. I went to Westinghouse. Um, you know, so our communities, our schools, environmental education was not at the forefront. You know, I think um, I look at uh, – you know, even now we're pushing STEM careers, we're pushing STEM within the schools, but we're not really focusing on environmental uh, environmentalism or sustainability yeah. that could mm-hmm. fall under the S or the E or the M yeah. under right. STEM, you know. So, um, I mean, you know, so people or at one point in time, the vast majority when I went to college, I was one of two men of color to graduate from the college with um, ba- with a bachelor's degree in science any of the natural and physical sciences seriously every other black man in my graduating class was studying uh, either criminal justice Mm -hmm. or business administration yeah because those are the directions that they push us in so we don't really we don't really hear about any other opportunities you know but then also looking at those communities you know what are the professions that you see you know Mm -hmm. oftentimes you don't see an industrial hygienist you yeah. don't see a architect or a sustainability engineer, yep. you know. Um, so now you went from, so you worked with Amaris on that program. Yeah, um, that's how you got connected. It sounds like that's how you got tied into the Chicago area. But you mentioned lead awareness. So are yep. you involved with um, um, with what's going on in Flint in any way, shape, or form? So in a in a significant capacity, I was involved with um, the Flint water crisis it, with the immediate response. So we had, um, you know. We're coming up on three years, right? Yeah. If, if we aren't at the three-year mark sometime within the next couple of days, right, when, right. when they made the switch and, and, and people began to report issues. So, uh, you know, most people remember when the, when the emergency, when the state declared an emergency in late 2015, right. early 2016, right? So that was going on long before then. Exactly. So, um, so right around the time that I started uh, at Wayne State University, and it was, it was the, uh, the funniest thing, right? So I just started. I probably hadn't been on a job for about a month when everything kind of hit the fan, and I get a phone call, right? So I don't, I don't even know my office number yet, yeah. right? Cause, because I'm just <laughs> I just started here, right? Yeah. So I get a phone call, and all morning my phone is ringing um, from a you know from a DC number, right? My 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 cell phone's ringing. I'm like, you know, I don't know anybody from the people I know from DC are saved in my phone, right? Right? And then I'm looking at, it and they start calling my office phone. I'm like, I don't you know I don't know who this is. So you know, after about three calls, I finally you know you know look at the phone and and. Uh, call back. I right? mm-hmm. call this number back. Say, hey, I've you know been getting a call from this number all all morning. You know, I'm asked who's calling, and uh, you know, guy goes, is, "Is this Jeremy Orr?" Oh yeah, right. It's like it's something out of a movie. I was saying the government wants to find you. They find you. <laughs> guy says, "Is this Jeremy Orr?" I said, "Yeah, maybe." He says, "Yeah, right." Like maybe. He says, "Um, you know, says so and so from the uh from the front office of the EPA in DC. Do you have a moment to chat?" I said, "Uh, sure." And, you know, he he says, "You know, we um we want to talk to you about some issues going on in Flint." You mind setting up a meeting with, um, you know, with our senior advisor um, on environmental justice? Mm. I told him, you know, yeah, sure. Um, you know, he set the meeting up. That took a couple of minutes, and then jumped on a call with that senior advisor the next day, um, and then coordinated a couple of meetings between, um, you know, the organizations that I was working with here in, in, in Michigan in the area, and uh, they ended up, you know, flying in to meet with us in person and begin to talk about, you know, how. Uh, you know, I could help them engage the communities on the ground and make sure that they were getting the resources uh, yeah. that they need in the immediate response. So I spent about three months working. Uh, trying to connect you with the senior advisor from the U.S. EPA? Yep, yep, from the U.S. EPA, uh, their senior advisor um, on environmental justice and their senior advisor at the time, the President Obama, uh, who, wow. you know, had 
been one of the people at the forefront of responding to uh, the Flint water crisis. So, you know, they reached out. Uh, they ended up, you know, asking could they set up a phone call. Mm-hmm. Right? So I set up a phone call, talked to them, and then from there, you know, they asked, you know, could you set up an in-person meeting with, you know, your organization and other, you know, groups that you work with so we could come in. And you, know, you had guys fly in and conference in from all over the country, the, the, the environmental justice coordinators for each EPA region, you know, phoned in or either, um, you know, came to meet in person. And uh, we began to coordinate strategies and an effort to engage, uh, you know, residents and communities on the ground in Flint who were uh, in dire need of, of access to resources. So right. was able to play, you know, kind of that role of a liaison between the Flint community and the EPA as we, um, you know, tried to make sure that people were getting uh, the help that they needed in response. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. So... Tell me about some of the some of the work that you did specifically on the ground. Were you helping organize residents, or were you helping um, di- uh, displaced residents? Uh, I mean, there's so many different things yeah. that were going on there. Yep. So there was a you know a, a ton going on, and my biggest thing was helping uh, helping them access organizational resources. Uh, yeah. So I ended up you know putting together kind of a cohort of um, of organizations and almost like a. a I guess a, a a list of of resource oriented organizations that could help them, right? So, uh, and and part of that work was with a group named the Michigan Environmental Justice Coalition, who I you know coordinate as part of my work at Wayne State University. So we worked to put together this list of about twenty different organizations that were on call to provide pro bono services mm-hmm. uh, for Flint, uh, and and that went into also helping create a uh, what they called a health fair that the EPA mm-hmm. sponsored at the right. University of Michigan at the time in Flint. Uh, a health fair where residents could come and access, uh, you know, health services on the spot, screenings, uh, as well as uh, information. So, uh, you know, the groups I coordinated that were offering pro bono services were, you know, legal groups, sure. uh, communication groups, sure. uh, you know, public health groups, uh, you know, any type of group that you could you could think of that you would need in the midst of a crisis like that was, you know, on call and ready to respond. So uh, to get a, you know, so how many, how many households or individuals were you know, affected by this. So, and, and it's, you know, even now it's, it's still difficult to tell because yeah. we're still, we're still in the midst of it. And that's yeah. one of the things, you know, I, I, so I don't even, you know, if we can put a number on, but when we think of, yeah. you know, population, right. right. I mean, we're thinking, you know, significantly, you know, more than the majority of the population was impacted by it. So we're talking at least yeah. half a city, if not more, uh, was right. impacted by it. Um, so I mean, you know, that's a, so drinking water source for the city. Yeah. So, right. So I um dabble in environmental justice. Um, you know, I'm on the board of directors for the uh, Southeast Environmental Task Force, and you know, like to say that I was born and raised in the birthplace of Calumet of uh, environmental justice over in the Calumet region and all that good stuff. Um, you know, me, uh, I was a part. I um, sat in at a. Uh, a panel discussion a couple of days ago where Melissa Mays from uh, Flint, Michigan was one of the, um, she was the keynote speaker and she was part of the panel. And um, you, know, I, you mentioned organizing and um, helping to uh, uh, provide uh, pro bono services for public health. You know, a lot of people from the outside looking in, they hear about the public, they just recognize the public health issues associated with lead contamination. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they're understanding or recognizing any of the other potential concerns around public health. Yep. Can, um, are you familiar with some of the, the other issues that are popping up and can you help us yep. elaborate on those yeah. a little so, bit? And, and I think the other issues that, and because they're, 
they're they're so difficult to fathom now. Yeah. Right. I mean, you're you're seeing that, and I did an interview uh, with a group out of uh, uh, Penn State University. Yeah. Uh, you know, not too long ago, and, and we talked about the impacts of the public health impacts of that that are further down the line. Right. We right. talked about uh, you know the the likelihood that crime right is going to rise because of the contamination of lead in these children. We talked about. Um, the issues of, of special education are going to be mm-hmm. are going to be on the rise now. Yeah. Uh, you know, over the next few years uh, in Flint. I mean, we you know we we talked about um, you know now what what does it mean to be a parent, right, mm-hmm. or a woman who was pregnant, right, during right. that water crisis. Right. Um, and I worked with a, a, a couple of women who mm-hmm. were in fact in Flint and were pregnant at the time of the water crisis and did you know drink the water. So I think you know the immediate public health impacts are obvious, but I think a lot of people haven't. Um, the long term. They don't effects. think of the long term, you know, yeah. impacts. Yeah. Impacts of it. Yeah, I mean, I, one of the things that Melissa um, spoke uh, talked about during her um, during her uh, keynote address, um, some of the uh, health issues that she pointed out, or like, so using the filters, you know, mm-hmm. use of filters. Um, the we're not looking at the chemical um, interactions and uh, chemical reactions that we could have within the with the filters mm-hmm. and with the lid mm-hmm. and the other contaminants within the water. So some of the um, some of the chemicals that were tr- used to treat the water may help um, uh, uh, limit the potential for leaching and um, leaching from the lid. Mm-hmm. However, it helps the growth of uh, of other chemical bacteria, I mean, excuse me, other chemicals and bacteria within the water. Yeah. You know, so that leads to other health, cri- um, other health crises that aren't being looked at. And so there's so many issues associated with lead. And I see people talking about it and they're like, oh, well, you know, they, they're going to get their uh, water, they're going to get the pipes fixed finally. I mean, mm-hmm. but that's not going to happen until 2020. Yeah. If I, if I remember yeah, if, correctly. If, if, you know, we're being... You know, generous 2020, 2019. Right? Exactly right. Exactly right. Um, so, but I was, you know, we also have issues similar to this happening in East Chicago, Indiana as well. Um, but I just, you know, it's so. So at this panel discussion, um, one of our, you know, we, there were several members of the EOC family there. Um, one in particular, Dominique Edwards, she's from Northwest Indiana. And she, I mean, she and I sat together during the course of it. I literally had to leave because hmm. all it was was just horror stories. You know, it was yep. just, it, you know, it was just one one tale that was worse than the other. And um, Dominique having, you know, boy, growing up in the Northwest Indiana, having friends in East Chicago, I mean, like this affects her personally and directly. She cried. I mean, I just mm. could not sit there for it. And as she and I talked about it, I mean, um, I just told her, I, I, I can't take this anymore. Yeah. Because I live in this community. I live in the Calumet region. I'm inundated with this. You know, what I need is some hope at the end of it. And so... um what I'm hoping for is that we can look at Detroit and look at some of the wins that are happening yeah. in the Detroit area. I know, you know, you with um, GM, Ford, um, the Chevy plants that are there, there are a lot of environmental justice and issues. There's a lot of blight. Um, but I think there are some some successes yeah. that are happening in Detroit that we can talk about, you know, to, yeah. um, you know, it's kind of like the whole Pandora's box thing, right? We release all these, all these horrible things out, you know, but when still in the box, there's hope. So yeah. I think hope is springing in Detroit. It sounds like, yeah. 
Yep, yep. And, and around Michigan, and, and, and you know, to, to backtrack to something that you mentioned, yeah. right? That, that these these issues are taking place everywhere. Yeah, right. And yeah. And, and a lot of folks, you know, want to look as at Flint as the the, the canary in the coal mine, right? Mm-hmm. But it yeah. isn't, right? Mm-hmm. We were just uh, uh, one story that that that's probably part a part of millions of stories that have been play, taking place for decades. Right. You know, not just in Michigan, right, but around the country. Uh, yeah. bigger, you know, even more severe issues, right? This one, you know, is, is just so big because we can squarely place the blame mm-hmm. on the government mm-hmm. itself, right, for mm-hmm. poor decision-making and, and racially discriminatory decision-making, mm-hmm. right? But uh, this stuff has been going on for forever. And um, But I think one of, you know, the, the things that we're hopeful about is is because, you know, this put really put environmental justice back on the map, right, right. and put it back in the conversation where it hasn't, hasn't really been for the past 20 years or so. Yeah. Um, that we're seeing, you know, decision makers now paying a little better attention and being more responsive. And one of those victories has been for us uh, getting our governor to create a um, to create a, a, a Michigan environmental justice working group. Awesome. That's going to uh, and they just met for the first time on the 12th. So I think it was that Tuesday. Yeah. Are you a member of the uh, group? So, so I'm not. Right. Okay. So I'm not a member of it, but we were able to um, lift up some member groups who I work with. So, awesome. so for me, it was more important to have community members who live in those communities on that group. Uh, mm-hmm. And we actually were able to get a number of community members, uh, residents, right? Not, not environmental professionals mm-hmm. and policy people, but residents right. who live and are impacted yeah. by it. So we, mm-hmm. within the last few weeks, we got three, you know, residents from EJ communities appointed to it. And, and we were very intentional about that. And uh, we have, you know, I have a number of colleagues on it and, and we'll, you know, certainly have a hand in it. Um, awesome. And so that's, you know, one of the victories is, you know, getting the state to say, okay, let's, let's, okay, let's do something about this. Right. Right. Yeah. One of, one of the things, um, one theme that comes up uh, over and over again in our conversations, especially in environmental justice is allies. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's very, you know, there always seems to be a cause of the week. You know um, that everyone loves to retweet about and yeah. social media um, advocacy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we end up encountering these moments when when people are are have outrage for for a little while, but then something else yeah. takes away our attention. Um, you know what? What would you what would you say uh, a good ally would be doing that may not be from the region, mm-hmm. but what sort of things could someone that really is um, outraged yeah. could do? Yeah, and and that's and I had this conversation with a friend not too long ago, and and it's, I think it's just so important to understand the difference in the role of an ally and mm-hmm. the role of an advocate, right? Mm-hmm. And, and meaning that both of them have a significant role to play in you know moving you know social justice issues mm-hmm. forward. Like the important role that the ally plays is um, making sure that issues are continually lifted up, mm-hmm. but not necessarily with like f- with fake outrage and, and yeah, not necessarily right. with the like you mentioned, right, with the issue of the week. Right. We don't need that. Right. right? We need people to we, we need our advocates to be committed and know that they're supported. But we don't need allies to be at the forefront of an issue um, temporarily, right, right taking right. away from the credibility of it. So for me, I, I think it's very important to have allies who fully understand what's going on, but mm-hmm. um, are willing to to support the mm-hmm. work of the advocates and activists who are on the forefront um, without, you know, making it their own pet project. That's right. been the, you know, the biggest thing uh, for me in, in stressing, you know, the, you know, 
the work that we're doing around Michigan is, is right. we need all the allies we can get for sure, right? But but we don't want you to to we don't want you to take away from the work that you're doing, right? We want you to focus on your issues. We'll focus yeah. on ours, but we can come together and support each other. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Don't come in and co-opt yeah. the yeah. message. Yeah. And that's a, and that's and we see it happen all too often. Yeah, right? so. yeah. I'm not naming names, but um, <laughs> you know. So again, I mentioned the East Chicago. I, I, you know, uh, Scott Pruitt, the um, the EPA is direct, the US EPA director is uh, coming to visit East Chicago, um, Indiana um, on the 19th. Mm. So, you know, <clears throat> my really good friend, Tom, uh, Thomas Frank, has been organizing in that community. He's a resident of uh, East Chicago. He's been organizing for EJ issues in East Chicago long before the lead crisis, and he mm. will continue to afterwards. So he found out that Scott Pruitt was coming, immediately contacted me and our you know, people amongst the coalition. But obviously, if Scott Pruitt is coming, a lot of people yeah. will find out. So needless to say, we wound up getting emails from people outside of the coalition yeah. saying, hey, we found out, we heard that uh, Scott Pruitt's coming. You know, let's have a phone call about and figure out what we need to do to get together and get down there. So the people that contacted us from the outside have not been around this fight, yeah. have not been supporting us yep. in any way, shape, or form. So I think, you know, one thing that I, you know, me personally, I think with that causes concern with allies coming in is that they're just coming from for a photo shoot, like yep. a photo opportunity, and that lose, you know, there's no authenticity. You know, this is people's lives. I understand that you work in the environmental field, but these yep. are people's lives. Yes. You know, so... It's not time to trivialize it by coming in just because Scott Pruitt is here. Yeah. You know, if you really care, come when he's not there. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Yeah. No, I, I agree 100 percent. Right. I mean, you know, that in, instead of calling and say, how can we get together? Right. It could be a call about how can we help you organize exactly. around your issue when he yeah. gets there so that you can be prepared to to lift up your issues. What's yeah. the message that you want to deliver and how can we help you amplify yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, even seeking out their own local environmental justice yeah. issue that may not be the cause of the week, you yep. know? Yeah. Are you are you calling out Mark, Mark Ruffalo again? <laughs> I'm not naming any names. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So back to Detroit. So you're living back in the Detroit area, right? Yeah. yeah. So I moved so. back uh, in 2015. Okay. All right. So I look at Detroit. I mean, like, you know, um, there was a point in time, Detroit... Uh, um, had a population somewhere in the range of 600,000. And I remember reading that they only had two big box grocery stores. I think this was like 2013-ish, mm-hmm. right? Um, they also had um, something like 25% of the building stock had was uh, vacant and dilapidated and had to come down, yeah. right? So they also did not have a recycling industry yep. in any way, shape, or form. You know, going all the way back to when I worked for Cook County's Department of Environmental Control, I remember going to a conference around their uh, hardest hit funding that was supposed to help fund a lot of the demolition in Detroit. I, I sat in on this conference and people were talking about recycling, demolition, demolishing these homes and recycling them. And um, one of the people uh, that was in the conference you know, he told me that that one of the biggest industries was waste. You yeah. know, they don't recycle yeah. there because yep. it, to tip uh, a tipping fee to you know um, tip your truck and dispose it into a landfill in Michigan at the time was like 
between nine to twelve tons, mm. nine to twelve dollars a ton. Whereas here in Chicago at the time, it was between fifty-five to sixty-five dollars a ton. And further east, like in, excuse me, in like Pennsylvania, New York, it was like one hundred fifteen to one hundred fifty dollars a ton. So those municipalities were actually sending their waste to Michigan to dump Correct. it. You know. So, however, looking for hope, I understand that. Um, the city of the Detroit has kind of coupled the the need to demolish some of those um, a lot of those structures with ur- uh, the need for urban agriculture and healthy mm-hmm. foods within the municipality. Um, are you familiar with some of that work? Do you yeah, work with yeah. any of the so, urban agriculture? So we're you know at, at the law clinic we're plugged in at literally all of those efforts that you okay. just mentioned, right? And I can you know kind of talk through them. So you know first being one of my colleagues uh, who's an attorney at the Great Lakes Environmental Law Center who I work closely with. Uh, he's uh, been looking into that the, the waste management issue for a long time now, okay. uh, and one thing that he's finally figured out is, like you mentioned, um, you know, it's it's cheaper to dump your waste, but even more than that, outside <coughs> trash, yeah, we're bringing outside trash in for even cheaper, right? So if we're dumping it in Detroit between nine and twelve dollars, we're subsidizing the suburbs at a rate of five dollars mm-hmm. right so what we're, we're determined is that we're actually paying for them to bring their trash here just right. to keep the contract going right and, and the big issue for us um right now is the incinerator right where the trash is burned at mm-hmm. right? that's been the really big issue is how do we um if we can't shut it down which would you know be a monumental task how do we you know get to these city contracts to say no longer can we allow trash from outside the city to be dumped and incinerated here and, and, and poison our residents so that's the first issue they're working on the other issue as it relates to recycling in particular. I work with a group named Zero Waste Detroit that's been around for yeah. quite some time, who's really been spearheading those um, those recycling efforts for a very long time. And actually just like, I received my cycling recycling bin late last year, right, to awesome. my house. Um, and it's it's been, you know, it's been a great success so far. And there are programs in which, you know, if you're a resident and you show up at the meeting and do recycling education, you can get your cart for free, right? It gets delivered to your home. You get it for free. You just you know, have to sit through the hour presentation. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what I did, right? Was able to do, and, and otherwise, and it's still fairly low, maybe a ten or twenty dollar fee to get oh, it's it. Nothing, yeah. yeah, you know, to get your, your, you know, get it picked up every other week or so. You know, big bin, not one of the little ones, but right. the big trash can bins. Well, that's as well. that's a pretty big key in recycling as well. You know, um, that's a, the subliminal um, education around recycling. So, if your recycling bin is larger than the trash bin, you're yep. going to recycle more things, right? Yeah. Yep. yep. And they're about they're about the same size. Yep. Yeah. So about the same size bins. Um, and then the other, you know, issue is, um, as you mentioned, dealing with reclaiming that land to be, yeah. you know, used efficiently and effectively by residents. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, urban, you know, urban agriculture and urban farming has, has been the buzzword, mm-hmm. right, for, you know, the last few years. And I, and I always take note of the, of the buzzwords that stick around over the years. I, yeah. I always say, like, a few years ago it was synergy, right? And, right. and it was equity, right? Yeah. And, no, resilience and, and, is, and resilience, you know. Right? So I feel like urban ag... I thought it was going to be one of those buzzword type things, but it's been around, right? Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's has some stick to And uh, now we're seeing, you know, we, we've since had a land bank created in Detroit who's right. tasked with reclaiming that public land and, and, and having a, a singular way for community residents to access that land that would otherwise be banked and dilapidated mm-hmm. and use it uh, for gardening and, and farming and productive uses. Uh, right. And you're right. Like we, I mean, we just got a Whole Foods maybe two years ago, and, and that's in the middle of the city in Midtown. But prior to that, I mean, there were, there were I mean, it's a food desert. It's still a food right. desert, yeah. right? right? But at least you have a few more stores now popping up in grocery stores. You can access fresh produce, but, um, you know, gardening has really been pushed. Um, 
To, so have you heard the term food mirage since you mentioned um, Whole Foods? Have you ever heard that term before? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, like, I, I just read this super interesting article um, a couple of days ago around, um, you know, you go into gentrifying neighborhoods where you have super expensive food. Um, and, that, you know, so you're gentrifying a neighborhood, used to be a food desert, then you bring a Whole Foods or one of the other high-end grocery stores. So, mm-hmm. yeah, now you have access to fresh foods or healthy foods, but the people that are living there can't afford it. It's for yeah. the people that you're trying to bring in. Yep. Yeah. So do you do you think that that's kind of an issue? Man, so so the Whole Foods in Detroit is probably the blackest place I have ever been. <laughs> and I kid you not, right? It's and, and I city it. up in there, right? <laughs> right, because it's, it's and, and that's what I thought was going to happen, right? It's like, oh man, it's going to be Whole Foods here. I already know what it's going to look like, right? Five or six years from now, I already know what it's going to be, right? But, but, um, but right, but the, the the staff there, right? Like everybody's, you know, it's like predominantly people of color there, right? So it's, it's warm and it's welcoming, yeah. and, and and you know, and I'm there, and I see everybody shopping there, you know, looks like me, and they're coming from all the other neighborhoods, yeah. and, and um. So what I you're think, saying is, when I go in there, I don't have to worry about finding ten types of lettuce, right? Like no, I can right. find, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's like twenty three types of kale. I can go get my collards, my turnips. You can get, you, know. you, can, you can get what you need. And I think another part of that too is 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 you know, like a Whole Foods accepting SNAP or or WIC, right? Yeah. And that's that's a big part of it, right? Because I mean, you have a big population who are you know who's on assistance. So right. being able to 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 take that where you know I've, I've you know seen other places that simply don't right, right. Uh, take. I think that's a that's a big part of it, but. It seems like at least the one in Midtown Detroit has been very intentional about making sure that, you know, communities of color, you know, feel welcome. Now, the other thing is price, right? Can I even right. afford it? Yeah. Right. I'm a lawyer. I don't shop at, I don't shop. I go to the Whole Foods hot bar. Right? <laughs> and that's, just, like, that's the only thing. I'm not going on my grocery shopping there. Right. Because it doesn't make practical sense for me. Right. To, to spend my money there. And, and the other part of that, too, is, is supporting other local businesses, right. local right. Uh, grocery stores. And, um, and I know there's an effort by a young man right now to, to bring back uh, a black-owned grocery store. So there's no black-owned yeah. grocery stores in Detroit, so he, he's yeah. he's trying to raise money for that right now, and that's getting a lot of support as well. But that's awesome. Do you know? Um, do you remember the gentleman's name? I could I could send it to you. Like, I can't think. Okay. Of it. I just read a story on it. Okay. On, um, it was pretty big. It's like Huffington Post or something. But I'll, I'll find it and send it along to you. Okay, that'd be great. Um, other thing I was so looking back at the urban ag going on in Detroit. Like I've heard, you know, so I. Urban Ag in Detroit, and from obviously this is from me on the outside looking in, reading my connections in Detroit are um, more on the building material reuse and recycling, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, materials management side, right? So from um, EcoWorks, you know, if you're familiar with them, I hope they're still, you know, I know they're still recovering from their massive fire a couple about a year and a half ago. you know, my love and support still goes yeah. out to them. I ain't sending no building materials. We, I'm holding them down here. You know, yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, sure there are plenty of them. Yeah, they, they're doing okay. They're they'll region. be all right yeah, getting good. more materials. You know what I mean? They'll, they'll do okay. But um, on the outside, from the outside looking in at the urban agriculture movement in Detroit, um, it seems like they've been experimenting in a, uh, in a way that not a lot of other areas have because they've, you know, they, there's so much space and opportunity. They've just been able to throw, you know, pretty much throw everything up against the wall. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of um, people of color that are active in the urban agriculture movement, whereas here, you know, you have a lot of, um, you know, it's a lot of hipsters that are involved yeah. and a lot of white people that are mm-hmm. opening up um, urban ag plots within black and brown neighborhoods because they can get the land for fairly cheap. In Detroit, you can get pretty much all of the land They're relatively inexpensive, yeah. and people are doing some pretty cool things. Um, there's one 
uh, in particular, and I'm, I'm sorry I'm blanking on the name, but there's, uh, there's one in the middle of a farmer's market that actually has a, um, a restaurant in, in, in the farmer's market as well. Mm. Um, that is like a farm to table. It maybe you may think of is it Easter Market. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been there before? Like, uh, I've been in the restaurant, but I, I know of, I go to Easter Market all the time. Oh, okay. But, cool. Yeah. 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 I remember. Like, is it the subject of movies and stuff like that? Have you? Mm-hmm. You do? You, do you? Are you involved with the urban ag scene directly, or just kind of? So shop at our law clinic, or? we actually end up, uh, you know, helping out a lot of clients who are attempting to access uh, land, right, mm-hmm. to get legal title to land. Uh, so, and, and that for us, it's more so transactional. So somebody will come and say, hey, this plot of land has been vacant next to me, you know, for a while. I've been using it, but how can I go about, you know, legally accessing this land so that it is mine or that, um, you know, I have some sort of legal right to it. So sure. we we do that at our law clinic and our law center, uh, you know, fairly often. And um, so that's a, that's a normal thing. But one of the things that, that you know, to kind of go back to something that you mentioned is, uh, we're in the midst of that struggle too. Of how do we make sure that 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 native Detroiters are mm-hmm. getting access to this land versus, like you mentioned, the, the hipster farmers who are coming in. And I, and I think there's 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 a real struggle going on right now to determine, yeah. uh, and and not saying that there isn't enough space for both of them, right? right. Because there is. Right? I mean, right. Detroit square footage is, is huge. We got a lot of vacant land, right? Yeah. So um, everybody can win, but you know it, it's starting to come off as a a you know, win-lose situation mm-hmm. where it's starting to shift towards, because the purpose of the land bank in this urban ag was to empower um, the people of Detroit to do something with this land. But like you mentioned, you have people coming in who are buying up land and literally sitting on land and have mm-hmm. been sitting on land for years and have done nothing with it. Yeah, land right? banking in a, in a different yeah. sense, yep. in a yep. negative sense. Yep, and that's a, and that's an issue, right? And, and then you get the, you know, I had a, we, we we had a conversation the other day at the law clinic about a, a, a gentleman who's lived in his neighborhood for decades. He's been farming on the vacant land next to his home for, you know, 20 plus years. And a, a young white woman just moved to Detroit, moved to his neighborhood, uh, waited till um, the land bank opened up um, the, the, the land for sale and, and bought it. Right. And, wow. and kicked him off. Wow. This is like this, you know, with, within this past year. And um, and the only reason I think something came up was because a lot of the neighbors realized, like, man, this, this guy's been like gardening here for decades. Like, what, like, why is he not out? Yeah. This is about time of year where you should be out. And you know, he, they end up going over and he explained what happened. And so, I mean, you know, how do we prevent things like that from happening? Right, right. Hence the importance of Lachlan being involved in on the uh, the uh, legal side of it as yeah. well. Um, and and this law clinic is focused in. On environmental justice. Yep. So, so we do. So, I'm the environmental justice coordinator. So, we do all types of environmental law, from air quality, water quality, land use, public lands. We do, you know, some of everything. But so, my my particular focus is environmental justice. So, we do have a, you know, we're one of the few, um, if not the first, law clinic in the country to actually have a environmental justice coordinator. You know, which is myself, right? To have it. And now, you you know, we saw one pop up at UC Berkeley last year. You know, we saw one pop up at Yale last year, right? So now it looks like people are following suit of of, of Wayne State and it's and it's necessary. Yeah. But, yeah. but yeah, we're kind of one of the, the one of the first organizations, at least institutions at a you know law school to focus on EJ. Um so I think did we did we talk to you about Columbusing versus DuSabling? Nope. Um all right, so Juanita is far more uh, is far more eloquent than I am. So if I can ask you to, um, sure. So um, we can't talk about desabling without talking about 
Columbusing. Are you familiar I, with that? I, term I think I could gather what the uh, what the, <laughs> what the so, concepts mean. Uh, you know, Columbusing <laughs> is something that's been uh, sort of taken or or uh, been culturally appropriated mm-hmm. um, from an indigenous population or people of color, um, and you know, it's anything from uh, you know calling guacamole guac to uh-huh. uh, <laughs> to literally like, hey, there's a whole continent there that I just discovered. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even though there are plenty of people already living there. Right. Um, so we, in, in an effort to uh, reclaim some of those things, um, we came up with the term uh, disabling, mm-hmm. named for our first founder um, and first uh, resident of Chicago, Jean-Baptiste Dussable. So uh, in an effort to reclaim those things, uh, we've been calling, uh, calling it disabling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of urban agriculture, right? Yeah. You know, that was one of his, um, one of his fortes. You know, he, um, you know, he was a fur trader. He was a, a, guard, he was a farmer, um, worked with indigenous communities in the Chicago area. Well, you know, it wasn't Chicago at the time. But, but um, you know, basically taming that wild onion and um, trading, you know, pelts of fur to kind of wow. build this city, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and the, there's been, uh, yeah, as we've come to learn, uh, that there was an effort to really um, erase him from our history. Yeah. To, um, so, uh, you know, and, and, and as people of color in Chicago, um, you know, we, we encounter these things all the time. Yeah. And I'm sure uh, I'd like to ask you yeah. if you have uh, any particular... Um, case of uh, desabling you'd like to share or something that should be desabled? Uh, so I have a really good story, mm-hmm. um, and it's, it's fairly recent. So about a couple of months ago, I went to uh, um, to kind of an evening event to talk about race and, and ethnicity in mm-hmm. the Detroit area, and it's put on by um, the Damon J. Keefe Center for Civil Rights. They're based out of Wayne State University Law School as well. Um, in the event... Um, was put on by the Detroit e- Equity Action Lab, which is a cohort of, of a number of individuals each year that um, learn about civil rights and social equity. And they're from all they're from business backgrounds, nonprofit NGOs. They're from all over yeah. right, the city. And they put on this event. And during this event, um, what came up at the end, one of the speakers began to talk about this exact issue and this exact frame in particular as it relates to you know urban agriculture and urban gar- and urban farming. She she said. Um, she, she, she kind of got into it with a with a guy, right? Like a couple of weeks before that, and it and it really uh, struck her, and it made her think about, um, you know, the the, the issue of of uh, you know she didn't say these words, but it was you know Columbusing and disabling. <laughs> so what she said was, you know, she was at dinner with a guy, and it was a you know white guy, and and they were having dinner with a bunch of people, and and she said, um, the guy kept calling himself a foodie. He's oh. like, yeah, I'm a yeah, I'm a foodie, <laughs> right? And, right. And she and and and, and she said. Uh, She's an indigenous woman, and she said she didn't, you know, really like what's what's a foodie. And um, he, he says, "Well, yeah, I just I like I like food. I know food. I grow my own food." And she says, "No, my my mom grew her own food on our reservation when I was growing up, right?" And he says, "Well, no, no, not like that. I mean, like I grow, <laughs> I, I grow Whoa. my own in my in my backyard." And she's like, "Yeah, no, like, what's my, your, like yeah, my mom." Like, yeah, he's like, "No, but I, you know, I actually eat mine, and I." cook him and she's like no literally my mom like what are you like what are you talking about what's a foodie and so and so and, and she began to frame it as like reclaiming uh gardening and and, and, and urban ag because you you do get a lot of the young hipster farmers who are you know like yeah. she said she she was red in the face and 
and pissed off because, yeah. you know, you're a foodie, you know about farming, but my mom, right, and, and, and my people who were here from the beginning, I mentioned she was indigenous, my people from the beginning have been doing this long before yeah. your people. So for you to call it something different, call it a foodie or urban ag or whatever you want to call and it, yeah. that's unacceptable. Yeah. yeah, and she said he just did not understand. Um, and she said that really made her think about that's something that we need to reclaim, right, yeah. and, and, and letting our people know, like, man, this is, you know, this, we've been doing this for forever. This is what we do. And, and you're not going to push us out of these spaces and out of these industries and reclaim it, you know, or claim it for yourselves and yeah. call it something different because yeah. um, we, we, we see what happens all too often with those types of things. So, mm-hmm. uh, and that was very, very recent. Um, wow. So I think that is in particular, you know, if we talk about one of the things that need to be reclaimed, that's for sure one of it. I think it is uh, urban ag and just urban, urban food and food security generally. I agree entirely. Do you, do you have anything, Juanita? Uh, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't think I want to get into it. it now. I was going to mention uh, Morrissey, but that's just too too you too hot of a been, topic. Absolutely, Morrissey again. It's I mean, been like, hurting. I've it's been, been on, hurting, you know, man. Like, if you follow the I'm Twitter, there's person. been a lot of Morrissey on the Twitter on the um, oh, on the. My uh, God, that guy. Uh, on the um um on at Dusabling at uh, which is our Twitter account, urban um environmental justice is something that's by and large just ignored by urban planners, especially here in the Chicago area. Yeah. I can't speak any for any other areas except for my own. Um, <clears throat> I was talking to a uh, a friend of mine who um was recently she's all over this episode actually is again yeah. so she was um um she had applied for. A, for a position with a planning agency in the Chicago area, um, she's a she has a master's in urban planning. She fit all qualifications for the position. These organizations are always talking about how they want more people of color, but mm-hmm. then here's a highly qualified person of color yeah. that they refuse to hire. But on the flip side of it, she also is very active in um, EJ uh, work mm-hmm. in Northwest Indiana. So, you know. Um, when I was talking to her after she told me that informed me that she was turned down for that position, you know, I told her about being at a um, conference a couple of years ago, the Green Town Conference that was here. Um, and I want to say like 2014, 2015. Um, I was I sat in at a panel discussion that was, you know, that was staffed with funders and urban planners from large planning organizations in the Chicago area. So I asked a question about, hey, do you guys, you know, do you incorporate EJ um, principles into your planning process? Um, And I didn't say EJ, I said environmental justice. Mm -hmm. And the moderator of the panel, who was a principal at one of these large planning organizations says to me, what's environmental justice? I, I was just dumbfounded. Wow. I couldn't explain. Yeah. I, wow. The fact that you're in Chicago and you work in planning and not just work in planning, but you're a leader yeah. in yeah. this planning organization and you have the you, you don't know what it is. I mean, like mm-hmm. and it, it wasn't like he was asking so that I could define it for the crowd. I mean, the look on his face was dumbfounded. Like, wow. what's that? I, I've never heard of this thing you speak of. You know? Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, it's. um. It's sad and depressing sometimes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, is there anything you'd like to add before we close out? Um, no, not really. I don't, you know, um, 
yeah, we, me and the, I, I got the girls. We're gonna go disable some open space later. Okay. You know, just get out and move <laughs> around and um, get active. Um, maybe you know, go over to uh, Northerly Island and hang out a little bit. But nah, I mean, you know, I've, I think I've gotten everything off my chest, which is you know, which is always good. This is a great outlet. You know what I mean for um, for us to kind of talk and um, about certain issues. You know what? I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I am. I think I am going to. Um, go back and disable something so we've talked about uh code switch a couple times you know Mm -hmm. where they did the allies episode after we had a allies episode they um the focus on frederick douglas park (laughs) after we had the you know we after we had some discussions on frederick douglas and and a park that and and then also talking about the disable park that needed to be disabled here in the chicago area um you know they're they're their podcast came a little bit after ours. There's a black male host, <laughs> the um, Latina woman on the, you know, so I just, we've been, it seems like they've been talking about a lot of issues that we talk about. So I think we're going to, I'm going to have to send them an email because I, I really feel <laughs> like this is not a coincidence anymore. So. <laughs> oh, maybe we should, we should get that. We should get them uh Throw in some red herring for them to to yeah. start talking about. Yeah, we'll we'll come up with a topic. <laughs> like if they talk about you know next month if I if they talk about Flint, Michigan, we're really gonna know what's <laughs> up. <you know? laughs> so yeah, but outside of that, now nah, it's just you know, um, the sun is shining, the weather is sweet. Let's all go out and enjoy it and all that good stuff. You know. Yeah. So, um, my name is Brian Williams. Oh, wait a second. Um, uh, we should probably give our tag. So, um, we're on Twitter at Dusabling. Um. Where you can find us on Shades of Green, Shades of Green Chicago slash WordPress. We're on iTunes now. If you, you know, please go on iTunes, give us a high rating, all that good stuff. Um, and we're hosted on SoundCloud. Hosted as, on SoundCloud uh, as well. Shades of Green podcast. Yeah. Um, and if you want to contact me directly, I'm on Twitter at the at the story of B one. Yeah. Oh, do you have any uh, social media? Handles you'd like to share? I, I, I have a Twitter. I don't use it very much, yeah. uh, but it's uh, Jeremy F. Orr. So it's at Jeremy F. Orr. Yep, just one word. Right. Website for your um, for your organization mm-hmm. that you're involved in? Yep, so ours is uh, the Great Lakes Environmental Law Center dot okay. uh, com, as well as uh, Transnational Environmental Law Center's website is just at thewayne.edu. Yeah, okay. Just go do it and click on the law school. So. All right. Awesome. All right. We'll have to connect you to uh, Beatrice Kanyas, who's uh, works over. At, she's at uh, University of Michigan. She works with Dr. Dorsita Taylor over there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, Dr. Yeah. Taylor. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. We'll have definitely have to make the connection there. So awesome. Sounds good. Yeah. Man, it was an absolute pleasure to finally meet you yeah. in person. You know, this thank has been you. a long time coming. Yeah. No, thank you for having me on. This has yeah. been great. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad we were able to get you in person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Juanita, did you want to have no, anything else? No, that's it. All right. So thanks a lot, folks, for tuning in. We'll talk with you soon.